2020 changed the trajectory of my life forever. I was 24, succeeding in a job that offered huge financial reward, yet I was unhappy and unfulfilled. My chronic illness, cystic fibrosis, had caused my lungs to bleed and it left me in a hospital bed. Now I left that job and created this podcast and I left that hospital bed to run marathons and prove that we aren't defined by our circumstances, but rather how we respond to them. On this show, we discuss the adversity that my guests and I face and how we overcome that adversity. This is a lot to talk about. G'day, g'day. Welcome back to another episode of A Lot To Talk About. It is your boy, the captain of the ship, the man in charge, Bradley J. Driver, of course. Call me Brad. I'm here with the man, Onye Abarakwe. Abarakwe, yes. Abarakwe. Yes. I was trying to nail that. I was yeah. trying to get it while I was fresh. It is tough, but I'll get it by the end of the yeah. pod. Brother, it's so good to have you here. Thanks for having me, man. I guess whenever I have a guest on, I, I like to spend a little bit of time like... I guess reminiscing, not so much for you, but more for me on yeah. where you first popped into my line of sight. Okay. And for me, it was through a mutual friend of ours, Taku Chimwaza. Love that boy. Um, <laughs> T's a, a good mate of mine, has been for six or so years. Mm. And I remember, you know, T's a cool cat. You he know, he's is. one of those guys who's got, he's got flair, he's got style, he's got personality. He's one of those guys that when he's in the room, you know he's there. It's just fully energy whenever he's around. He is, hey. Yeah. But I would say it's the same for you and, and you guys popped up on my feed one day and I'm pretty sure you were at an event together and at a gig <laughs> and I'm like, who's this handsome guy? Yeah. You know, you just got that style, you've got that something about you and it's been a joy to watch you doing what you do, you know, Thank you, man. I guess from the outside in, I would look at you and go, um, you know, you work in the fashion space, you're a model, you're an influencer, you know, you're a personality essentially mm. and, and I love seeing you do what you do and we've had a little pre-chat before we've jumped into the pod, but it's always a joy for me, I must say, to see people who are similar age to me who have a dream that they've identified yeah. and are out there doing whatever they can to bring that to light. Exactly. You know, and it's, it's cool so, to see. It's something I always like to, um, because it's something that I, I look to do, I look to inspire other people to do the same because mm. I always say to people, if you have that thing that you want to go for, mm. just put your everything into it. There are some doubts at some times, but you have to just go full steam ahead. For sure. Yeah. You have to. You have, you have to. to. I want to dive into that in a minute, yeah. but I want to talk about first, last night, you were at <laughs> Mission Impossible. Yes. Um, the premiere. Ah, yes. Um, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, he was there. The man himself was there. The whole cast was, oh, most of the cast was there actually. Good movie? Really good movie. They're yeah, I actually really good. enjoyed it. I enjoyed it because I'm a huge action person. Yeah. So... I loved walking in. I, you know what's going to happen because you know how these movies go. Mm. But you're just like, what are they going to do this time? How is he going to actually do it this time? You know what's crazy? I watched, it was like a little YouTube video, mm. maybe like five minutes worth. And it showed, without giving away the movie, I feel like most people would have seen this in the trailer, but where he jumps off the cliff on the motorbike. Yes. Man, that guy is, he has balls of steel He's because insane. he'd done that stunt himself. Mm-hmm. And I think I've seen that he, so basically for anyone listening, he rides a motorbike off a cliff and then pulls a chute in the air, lets yeah. the bike drop and just 
parachutes down and often you think stuntman yeah that ain't no stuntman that's tom cruise exactly it's, it's actually him doing these things and that's not even the only instance in that movie there's so many parts in the movie where you actually see him doing these dangerous stunts yeah and you know in you know when you have the stunt double and they switch you, like the camera angle yeah. kind of switches you see him coming off the bike or coming out of an activity and you see that it's him He's actually wow. done this stunt or this extreme act of like feat of athleticism. Mm. Even just him running through corridors, like long shots of him running. It's him running. Like That's it, imagine man. doing that over and over and over again. Like yeah. I just have to respect something like that. You have to respect it. And it's it's crazy and I don't know where he gets his strength from. Maybe Scientology. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe that's the secret. <laughs> maybe that's the secret. <laughs> Gotta it's, find a new church. It's funny, that topic's come up for me. I was listening to, I love Louis Thoreau. Yes, yeah. I was listening to him on, oh, his, he's actually got his own podcast. It's just released yeah. four episodes in and I was listening to a couple of the apps and I like Craig David. Craig David yeah. fans, so I was listening to his app with Craig David and mm. then Amelia de Moldenberg oh, from Chicken know. Shop Date. Oh, you know Chicken Shop Day. I do. I know Chicken Shop Day. I've yeah. seen a few. I've saw one recent. It wasn't recent. It was a few months ago now. But the one with Burner Boy. Yes, she's she's funny. Yeah, she's funny. Yeah. she's got that real awkward humor. But I, it works for her a it, lot. It really works. Yeah. and it works in that setting. But I listen to her anyways on Louis' pod, and mm. then I was just like, oh, I'm fascinated to hear like where this started for Louis because, mm. man, he's doing something that I kind of want to do. Mm. Like he's out having deep conversations, honest conversations as a a realness and a real authenticity to what he does. Yeah. And I'm like, it's interesting to, I guess, to get an idea of where that started. Mm. And so I went on a bit of a search and found him on a couple of pods and kind of landed on an episode with him and Rogan. Oh, okay. Yeah. And yeah. man, he talks a lot about pretty much the whole episode is about this docuseries he's done on Scientology. Yeah. Man, <laughs> it's so interesting. And it gets really and deep, doesn't it? It's made me like really keen to get a Scientologist on the pod to have a chat. <laughs> Because I'm like, believe what you want to believe. I think everyone's got the, it's up to everyone to have the prerogative to believe what they want to believe yeah. and live life their way. But I just find it, it sounds so foreign hearing the concepts or the way that that, like the way that that religion has been founded mm. off the back of, you know, what seems to be craziness yeah. from my perspective. I'm like, it'd be so interesting to sit in front of someone who, wholeheartedly believes that that's their way of life yeah. and hear their side of the and story. And just having that conversation with them, just like being open-minded and just seeing what's, seeing how they're trying to view it through their lens. That's the beauty of podcasts, yeah. right? Like it gives you a long form way of doing that. Exactly. But anyways, enough of Scientology, I guess. <laughs> but back to you, my man, it's, like I said, it's an absolute pleasure to see you living out your dreams. Talk to me about where this all started because, you know, I don't, I don't know that anyone... Back when we grew up, like how old are you? I'm turning 30 this year. Turning 30 this year. I'm yeah. 27, right? So yeah. we're similar age. And I know that I, for one, as I grew up, did not think that there'd be a world in which people did kind of what you do for mm. a living, right? Or yeah. what now I do for a living. It's, it's different. It's unique. It's something that I know a lot of people would look at you through their screen and, and maybe have questions or curiosities as mm. to how that comes to life. Yeah. So where did this first all start or become a dream for you? So this actually started, well, first of all, I've always been a, <clears throat> excuse me, I've always been a creative kid. I've always, I've loved my drawing. I've loved my pop culture. Mm. I'm a huge anime fan, as you've probably seen. But it all started for me in lockdown. I remember I was, I was watching the NBA finals. And at that time I was going through, I was going through a lot. 
had recently just become single, had got a new job. A lot of things were changing in my life. So I remember laying on the ground watching the NBA playoffs and I was just bored <laughs> during lockdown. So I said to myself, what can I do to keep myself entertained? What can I do to keep myself busy in this time? I could just keep my mind active. So I started just making videos and TikTok was the first thing I thought of. But I, always, I never had the app. I always used to watch TikTok compilations on YouTube, actually. Yeah, okay. I never actually had the app. And I said to myself, I don't see myself as someone who will have one of those apps. But I remember just taking a gamble and just downloading it one day. And I saw all the creatives on the app as well. And it, it sort of inspired me to, oh, let me see if I can do my own thing. So I started making some videos, started doing content here and there. But I would never post it. It always just be in my drafts. And I remember showing a friend of mine, I sent him a few of my drafts. At this time, I would have had like 200, 300 drafts because every day I was just, when I wasn't at work <laughs> at the new job, I was just making dumb, silly videos. And I sent two or three videos to a close friend of mine. And he watches them and he says, bro, these are good. Like, these are funny. Like, why don't you, why don't you post these? And I'm just like, I don't, I don't want to be one of those like, at that time, at this time, I was like, I don't want to be one of these cringe creators. I don't want to like yeah. put myself out there. And at that time, I was also going through a lot of like self-confidence mm. issues as well, coming out of the relationship. So it was just something for me to have for myself. Like I would just sit down and watch through my own TikToks and laugh. Yeah. Stuff that I found funny. So when I eventually did start posting because I had 200 drafts, I would just post two or three times a day. And then from there, it just it just took off like i couldn't believe it. it i think within the first week it was on it reached around 10k in the first week and then it just oh, elevated wow. from there i was i was shocked and then i got my first brand deal and that's when i was like okay maybe i can maybe i can make something out of this and every opportunity i would get i would take it and just like turn up as my full self so so is it fair to say that before that brand deal came your way that you mm. didn't even see that as a possibility or was there something in the back of your mind that knew that i, was something I, I that never happened? saw myself being paid to do any of this so That's like crazy. when that first brand deal came i was like oh this is this is really cool then the second one came then this brand reached out to me do you want to try this this brand reached out to me do you want to try this and it just kept on snowballing just kept on snowballing until I got to a point I said um oh there was a point where because I was working two jobs so I was doing my TikTok and content yeah but I was also working as a pathologist I ah. take blood take COVID tests things like that um it yeah, got wow. yeah so that's that's what I was doing during the night so I would wake up in the morning make content until around three o'clock and then from three o'clock from 4 p.m to 3 a.m I'd be at the lab testing blood Wow, so you obviously done a uni degree in that. Yes. Bro, that's isn't that funny because that is so left of center. Like I'd yeah. say that's not a maybe this is an unfair statement, but it's not a creative job at all. It's, it's not. a scientific, very analytical rigid job. Yeah. You know? So that's obviously because I know that both your parents are in medical professions. Yes, yes. So that's something that you've been inspired by them to go and take steps into that yeah. world. Yeah, it's it's something that it's something that's sort of been in my mind since I was a kid. Like mm. I've, I've had that, that duality of creativeness and very analytical, very sciencey. Like yeah. I, I am a sciencey kid. I do all those silly chemistry puns. I'm that sort of guy. I love my anatomy. I love my psychology. But I also do like the creative side that's not as 
logical, not as analytical. Like I love, I love producing. I love like um, cinematics. Like I love my movies. I'm always, I'm always just watching movies and analyzing little parts. So like, oh, they could have done this. Like that, that's a sick shot. That could have been done like this. Um, so I think that's the two minds melding together, like the whole analytical creative side coming together. What would you say that it's important or that, you know, cause I think of a guy like Ricky Gervais, right? Mm. Ricky Gervais worked a normal job until he was 39 years of age. And I remember his, him saying once in an interview, he said that I think he won his first like BAFTA mm. and for the office. And he said to his partner, Jane, he said, I wonder what it would be like if I'd started this a long time ago. Like if I'd written this series and, you know, acted in it and it had been on TV mm. many years ago. And she said, I don't think it would be the same because you wouldn't have had experience. some life experience to yeah. talk about. Do you think that actually working, I wouldn't say it's a normal job because it's a job mm. that requires quite a level of intelligence mm. that I, for one, do not have. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, going to uni, studying something and working a job that really credit to you as a service to the world to be in that sort of profession. Has that been an important part in giving you the appreciation and the perspective that you have in a creative world now? Yeah, I would say I always, people, people always ask me because as you, as you, as you know, create like content creation is very much opposite to the medical field. So I think it really gave me, I never felt like I wasted time anywhere. I feel that everything that has happened to me has just added to my human experience and just made me who I am. So I think things needed to happen in a certain order for me to be able to achieve what I have achieved today. Yeah, so I would, I would never go back and change anything because things needed to happen how they happened for me to get here. And things need to happen now for me to get certain places when I'm ahead. Yeah, it's beautifully said, man. And I think hindsight's a funny thing it where... Is. You can't always see that when you're in it. Mm. Did you have that same perspective whilst you were in the job and you weren't doing anything creatively? Or was there almost this pull that like, this isn't my thing, you know? Um, it, it did get to a stage where I found myself not feeling passionate about it. Or when you start to doubt yourself, can I see myself doing this for the rest of my life? Mm. I did have those doubts whenever I'd go through uni can I see myself doing this for the rest of my life? Like I loved doing it, but I didn't have that passion for it. The passion that would drive me to take steps that I would want to take to advance, advance myself. Mm. But when I see what I'm doing now with content, even if it's not content, but just a subset of that, I'm so passionate about it. Like I, there are days I'll, I'll get an idea and I can't sleep until I do it. I can't sleep until I make that video. I can't sleep until I have a plan for how I'm going to execute that idea. Yeah. Um, I felt that I didn't have that same passion when mm. I was um, doing my pathology work or my medical stuff. So really finding that drive and that passion right now, I think things did need to happen how they did. Um, I, needed to get to a, I needed to get to a spot where it's like, okay, I can, I can relax now. I have time to do, I have more time to do the things I enjoy. So I'm going to lean more into this side and I'm feeling more fulfilled doing this. You know, it's funny that one of the things that we spoke about on the episode with Taku was, you know, he, he referred to a level of jealousy he had to watch you do mm. what you're doing so well now and what you love and what he wanted to do. And he said that really in getting to know you and understanding where you come from and what you've done to be in this position, mm. understanding the amount of work that was involved 
gave him this level of appreciation and acknowledgement that and there's a path to get to that destination or that place you know it's funny we often hear this this thought or this idea that's passed around that if you find what you love if you do what you love you don't work a day in your life Mm. and i seen a video the other day which was a quote that was actually quite contrasting to that which was i don't believe that to be true because if you find what you love and you're truly passionate about it you'll work harder than you've ever worked before to make sure it's a reality exactly and it's funny though because i get what i get what that original thought is meant to mean Mm. that it doesn't necessarily feel like work Um, but i know for one that like when i'm behind a mic or when i'm on stage or when i'm doing something that is for me a part of that dream or something i'm really passionate about that work is it's almost like second nature you want yeah, yeah. you want to be in that hustle you want to be on the grind yeah you know talk to me about the work that goes into this because i think people see a finished product on social mm. you know and they don't see well for example we could see that you know you were recently in tokyo for jean paul Gaudier. yes insane i'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm keen to hear all i still about can't that. believe about that too right? i had so much fun there but i'm so keen to hear <laughs> all about it but i can imagine that for some people they think oh god how much fun's that like that must be easy but yeah. there's so much involved in that yes there is and i always i never like to complain i never like to i you know some people they'll say like oh yeah it is a, it's a lot of work it is a lot of work but a lot of it like you said if you enjoy what you do it doesn't feel like work so a lot of work does go into it but it becomes like you said it becomes second nature as you're used to doing it uh for example a normal day for me i would wake up Usually, if I'm <laughs> if it's a crazy night before, I'll wake up around ten o'clock. <laughs> if yeah. if I'm actually able to get up, um, I'll wake up around seven thirty in the morning. Breakfast, feel your body, do all that, clean yourself. Um, but then I go to planning. So that usually consists of me just checking out what's relevant right now, checking out what's going on in the world. Because as content creators, you're always having to adapt. You're always having to. You have your own content that you make, but a subset of that is always actually knowing what's going on around you so you can find your creative spin and add your creative opinion onto that so there's a lot of fact finding i'll I'll scroll tiktok for maybe 20 minutes i don't like to stay on there for too long just to see what's going on um i'll answer emails and then i start filming so maybe when i'm scrolling that's when all the ideas start to form and start to start to bubble and then i'll just do my filming and then i hope to have that done around two o'clock Two o'clock. Wow, it's a, it's a fair chunk of filming. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of filming because usually usually I like to do, I have in my mind do three sorts of like three types of content. Okay. Um, what would those three be? So for example, I I do a lot of fashion stuff now, and yeah. I do a lot of like anime and style uh, anime inspired fits. So I'll do a okay. lot of researching. What anime is really nice at the moment? What outfits can I make for a character? Mm. How should I edit that? What should the vibe of the video be like? Mm. So that sort of planning goes behind that video. What song should I use? Um, And then I also do little things like little relatable clips. Those ones don't take as much planning. Those ones are just like, okay, I'm going to do this. Something funny happened. If something funny happens, I'm always writing it down. In my notes yeah, okay. so i can just quickly go back and check okay i can do this today i can do that today um and then if it's a speaking video i'll just put the mic sit down chat to the camera just pretend the camera i'm just talking to the camera and something will be in there and i can chop it together um but it, it does take a bit of planning and it really depends if you're not in the mood to make content i never force myself 
to make content. Mm. I always try to put the energy somewhere else, even if it's recuperating, like getting the creative back up because you're not always in that creative mood. Mm. You do sure. need to give yourself some downtime. And it's it's finding the balance of a, uh, it's finding the balance of that because if you break too much, you don't get any work done. But if you get too much work done, it seems forced. So you got to yeah. find that middle ground. It, that's a funny balance, isn't it? Because mm. I sometimes struggle with that balance too. Mm. I think it's almost, um, you know, I went through a stage where I was recording a few solo pods, mm. and sometimes you'd plan to sit down and record something solo, and you're like, I kind of like I wouldn't say. I don't think I've ever been like planned per se coming into a podcast. Like I know enough about a guest that I've become curious about a number number of parts of their life. Right. But I like sort of the natural curiosity and just the, almost like the nature of it. Like if something pops up and it's in my head, it's like I'm going to ask that question. I'm going to mm. go in that direction. So there's a lot of what I do that feels very in the moment. Like off the cuff. For sure. It's yeah. very off the cuff. It's a great way of explaining it. So for me, it's hard to sit down and for something yes so i think my creative is very just like off the cuff innate mm. when it's there it's there when it's not i have to like take a step back and do something else yeah yeah i always say that um creativity has a shelf life mm. so when you think of something that's why i always want to go into it straight away because that same idea will evolve into something different even if you if you keep it in your mind it might evolve into something different or you might mm. lose it so i always feel that Acting on that piece of, acting on that idea as soon as you can is always the best way for me. Um, and I'm the same as you. I'm very off the cuff. I'm very, if I get the idea, I do it straight away. The, the ones that require more planning are the ones, say for example, if it's a brand deal. Yeah. Those ones where they have like a specific brief that they, yeah. points that they want you to hit. And then that's where I sit down and think, um, how can I put this out in the most organic way possible while staying true to my personal brand those are the those are the things that i sort of try to plan more around whereas if it's me just making content for myself it's i don't have to plan i just whatever i think of i just put it out there who would you say has been like the most influential in terms of creative spark interest that inspires you to go out and and push the envelope with your creativity that's a good question i I usually look, because I do a few different niches. I, whenever someone asks me, what sort of content do you do? I never have an answer. Because I have, always have several different forms of inspirations. Um, one, one guy that comes to mind, he's a, he's, a fa- he's a fashion TikToker. His name is um, Wisdom. And he's a huge anime guy as well. But his style and how he edits and puts care into his videos and styles, that really inspires me to do my sort of spin on that because I'm really huge into my editing as well I like I find editing is a way to inject my creativity that's not necessarily in the form of video making Mm. because someone might see a scene I like making the mundane interesting (laughs) so I'll I'll, even if it's me walking or me cleaning the house I always find a way to put a cinematic or creative spin on that and I feel that wisdom does that through his videos as well like I watch his stuff and I'm like, it's so, you're not, you're just unboxing and you're talking about clothes, mm. but you make it so interesting. So See, I feel like that's such a skill too, because mm. I think often, you know, you know, Gary V. Yes. I heard <laughs> Gary V talk a lot about document as opposed, document as opposed to create. Mm. 
which mm. I get what he means because it's hard to always pull a new fresh idea out of the air yeah. and create something. But if you can use that creative spin on very real everyday tasks or yes. things that would be seen as mundane, you have so much more to create with. Exactly. You know, let's talk about like your background and where you come from and like you've traveled around Australia heaps as a, mm. as a young man, moving different places, areas, spaces. How much of that creativity and those ideas come from very real early experiences? Yeah. So when I, when I first started on TikTok, a lot of my earlier videos were, um, I, I did a lot of African household things that happen in the, like the African household, because it's, it's that funny medium. Someone will get what I'm saying because this is common in most households. Um, so I, I did a lot of content around that. I remember, I remember my, my mom actually found a video of me imitating my dad and it was sent to her by her work colleague. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it, was, it was extremely accurate, good video. Uh, <laughs> if, I didn't, if I didn't say so myself. But she says um, she was laughing at it because she found it pretty accurate to mm. how my dad acts. So it was funny that that piece of content found its way to her through through social means, like through a colleague. And then obviously she showed my dad. Uh, he had a laugh, like he took it on I the chin. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of my content is based around real life experience. So say, say if, it's, if it's a little joke or a little bit off the cuff, I will just write it down and see if I can put a creative spin on it. Um, I think one I did recently, uh, my partner, she came over and she was just smelling really good, just, just as usual. And I remember seeing, I remember seeing a TikTok of a, like a smelling sound all the way back. And it's those two concepts that come together. Maybe I can make something funny out of this. Posted her, asked her, do you want to be in a video? She, she accepted. And now that video is, it's actually, it's probably one of my better performing videos because That's it's very awesome. real. It's very, um, very in the moment. Like that video was made in five seconds. Because yeah, it's just that. like, okay, this is something funny that we can do right now. And we should do it now before I forget. <laughs> yeah, it's mad. It's funny because I feel like similar for me when I have shared stuff that maybe I didn't think would be, for example, like the highest performing video I've ever posted on TikTok was me reading a eulogy. Mm. And when I say that, like it was me reading my own eulogy, it was a part of an exercise me and two of my mates done on a podcast. And the exercise was intended to share the message that, you know, you should hug your loved ones really tightly, that if one day your time comes, mm. what would you want to say? What would you want said about yourself? How would you want to be remembered? It was very much a piece in appreciation mm. of, you know, the fact that every day if you wake up with air in your lungs and a heartbeat, exactly. you've been given a gift. Yeah. Now that video was three and a half minutes and I think about a minute of it was just me sobbing my eyes out mm. trying to read it in front of my mates. Now when I posted that on socials, I thought, God forbid anything happened to me well before my time. My family, my loved ones could go back and watch this mm. and hear those words and hopefully feel comfort yeah. knowing that I've lived a great life and I love them dearly. There's a little personal message to Soph, my sister, my mum and dad in there. Essentially, it was a letter to them. Mm. Now, when I posted it, three and a half minutes with a minute sobbing and a high zoom is not exactly the recipe for success on TikTok. 
but mm. I went crazy, mm. like over 600,000 views, which yeah. for me is huge. And I was like, holy hell, that's just the power of authenticity. And I think authenticity is maybe an underappreciated part of creativity. Yes. I, I always say that, like, for example, that I've seen that video. I've seen that video. And um, one of my biggest things is uh, you can... Uh, things that are adding value back into the society even if mm. it, if you're speaking from the heart if you're offering advice of people who might be struggling in the same situation people are going to tend to gravitate more towards that because you're being sincere mm. you're being your raw authentic self and you can tell people in content when they're not doing this when what they are their beliefs and who they are is not aligning with the content that they put out For so sure. uh, when i saw that when i saw that video it's a lot of, I, I find a, finding the balance between what you want to create and what you what value you want to add to the world, it's a very fine line. Sometimes you put aside the, I don't want to get this for just numbers, or even if it doesn't get the numbers that you expect, this is a piece of content that's closer to your heart. Mm. It's a piece of content that you want to put out there that's exposing a piece of yourself. So sure. the numbers and everything... It's, it's nice getting the, um, the feedback and the comments back, mm. but putting a piece of content out there that you really resonate with, or if you want to put out a message, I feel those pieces of content need to be, um, it just needs to be looked at more. It needs to be, people need to not be afraid of, to be a little bit raw. I think people are afraid of putting that side of them out onto the internet. I completely agree. Mm. And I think that's the thing that holds most people back from engaging in any form of creativity. Mm. Because the minute that you put it out there, you're at risk of being judged. Yes. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, I know for myself, when I started the podcast, man, I remember watching back whilst I was editing and thinking, oh, like, can I put this out? Yeah. Like, can I put this out? I felt great about it when I finished the conversation, but the minute I watched the edit back and I'm like, that's me hmm. clearly sitting in that video <laughs> yeah. having this conversation. What happens if the world doesn't like it? Right. And it's like, but I love it. But you love it. That's exactly. This means something to me. Exactly. So why should I stop my, myself from enjoying that, from mm. having that moment, from getting to partake in something that I'm really passionate about? Exactly. And I just wish more people understood that. And for some people, it takes time. It does. That's the message I really try to drive. Like, uh, that's why I really keep my content very jovial, very... I do like to make myself the butt of the joke. I do like to do a lot of physical humor or mm. um, uh, things that will make me seem... I, 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 like to give, I like to empower people to have that same drive and that same... Don't treat life so seriously. For sure. Have as much fun as you can because... People, people might see that video, but they might forget about it two, three, four hours later. So I think it's um, not taking yourself too seriously and sure. being able to um, being able to be as jovial and as happy in your video as possible. That's that's who doesn't like feeling good. <laughs> For sure, yeah. I I have to ask: Are you still doing any work in the pathology space? No, I actually it was actually really nice. My boss. Because when I got to the stage where I said I need to focus on my content, I actually go. I went in there to resign, and at that time, this was when my content had just started picking up. Mm. So my boss, he said to me, like the guy who owned the company, um, just in case, like we'll keep you on the roster, but just in case you want to come back, just let me know. You'll have your job back. 
all of that was set up because I actually found out that his wife and his kids actually watch my content. Oh, there so you go. every now and again, they'd come into the they come into the office and they'd um they'd see me walking in the in the lab yeah. and just have a chat here and there. So it was really the Christmas party was fun. <laughs> with, yeah, it was. Um, but yeah, he he was really nice enough to just hold my job for me and just in case I needed something to come back to because it is very scary just jumping into the content world. You don't know if it's going to work or you don't know if you can sustain yourself from it. Um, It was a really scary thing for me to switch over, but I think there were a few things that happened at the time that allowed me to make that decision for my, like make that decision to go forward with just content. But I do have that job to go back to or um, find another way to do it in a different way. Sure. You know, it's it's always hard, I think, for parents to hear mm. <laughs> that you're going to make that leap. Yeah. You know, my, I've been very lucky that I have two very supportive parents who, you know, recognize that this was a deep passion. Mm. But I, I often talk about my, what could be described as a foolish decision mm. to leave my job well before there was any sustainability. You know, I've had to sell my house to survive. I've... You know, I'm well, my apartment. I sold my apartment in 2021, and I'm in a position where I'm going to be going back and doing some more work to be able to sustain this. Yeah, right. It's a scary move, and it's a big move. And like you said, especially where there's no promised financial reward mm. for your effort, it's one of those things that takes huge courage. What was your parents' response when you said, "I'm gonna," you know, because they're both in that field. They're right? both they're in, in the, the field, field. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, it. It took my parents a little while to... I didn't even tell them for the longest time <laughs> I was I was doing what I was doing. I would just... I would, they just knew me as going to the job. Until it was one day I had a really long chat with my dad. I gave him a call and just told him what I've been doing over the last few months. And I think the big thing of it was um, they just weren't... They don't get... They didn't get the whole social media, like making money from social mm. media. Um, but through education, I would just talk to them and just let them know what's actually happening. And they've become more accepting and they can see how happy I am in my content. They can see the opportunities that it's given me as well. Mm. They can also see that it's ever since I've started, there was my life, the trajectory of my life pretty much changed when I started doing this in terms of how fulfilled I felt, but also just what I was doing in my life. So when they saw that, I think that that's when this, they are happy for me to do what makes me happy. It's it's not like they they wanted me to go into their same field or are feeling any sort of way that I'm in a different field. But when they saw how passionate I was about what I was doing, they just started, they started to ask more questions. They started to be in more content. Um, they would show my stuff to their to their family, friends, and things like that. But it did take them a little while to to accept what I was doing. But I mostly think it was because of how little they knew about it. They didn't know much about it. It makes so much sense though, doesn't mm. it? Because just in their generation, yeah. well, even like I said, for us in our early years on social media, there was no real sign that this was potentially a future career opportunity for exactly. any of us. Mm. You know, this is very recent. This is like a very new thing. Yeah, within for, the last everybody. Like, few years. For like sure. It's, so it's like for them... The idea that something that didn't even exist, yeah. you know, when they grew up or when we were first born is now something that a lot of people make their living out of. Yeah. 
is wild. It's wild. It's insane. It's so wild. But they're they're getting they're getting they're getting the hang of it. Like they're getting used to yeah. it. It even comes down to little things like I'm the oldest of four and my I have a younger sister. She's the youngest right now. Mm. I see the little ways that my parents raise her and treat her in comparison to how they treated me at the same age. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, why, why didn't I get this when I was, why didn't I get this yeah. when I was younger? But I, I think it's, they've done a lot of growing and they've done a lot of learning as well. So sure. that's trickled down in how they treat me now and how they treat, how they've treated my sister growing up. How old is your little sister? She's 22 at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so there's that eight year age gap yeah. between or just about so between you and your siblings. Yeah, exactly. So I, I'm the oldest of four. She's 22. I have a 26 year old brother, and I have a brother that's 16 months younger than me. We're pretty much twins. Do you have a pretty, um, pretty close relationship with all siblings? Yes. So I, I pretty much try to talk to my siblings all the time. I don't get to see them as often because we're all spread out. Like my two brothers live in Queensland. Sister still lives in Melbourne with my parents, and I live in Sydney. Mm. So it's whenever I can go see them, I'll go. I'll travel down to Melbourne for a week, two weeks, and then I'll come back. Uh, always see them at Christmas, try to see them at Easter, just all the holidays. For sure. Or if someone is going into something really important, we'll just have a, like a family trip. Like I remember yeah, I love that. before I moved to Sydney, our last, <clears throat> excuse me, our last big family trip was to London. We went to London, New York. And I remember my dad saying to me, this might be the last chance that we all get in a while to all be together. And he was right because I moved to Sydney straight after one of my brothers moved graduated mm. other one graduated moved to queensland sister started uni so it was really good for us to have that trip to all together for sure. but we're looking for that time where we can take that next big family trip and we're all going to be all the kids and we're all going to be at different stages in our life and it's gonna it's gonna be good to see the progression how we were last time on the last trip and how we are on the current trip like how much we've come through and how far we've come yeah that's i love that man you know speaking there about everyone moving around mm. you know we sort of spoke about it off camera before you grew up in melbourne mm. we were born in melbourne went yeah. to nigeria mm. how long did you spend in nigeria so i lived there for three years okay lived there for three years and moved back so how uh, old were you when you moved back uh, here when i moved back here i was five five or yeah. six so you yeah. probably still too young at that time to yeah, really, really, to really understand what's going on. Yeah. So when I, it is when I move back, um, you don't, you're going through little things in life because you're moving a lot. You're always having to make new friends. You're mm. always having to um, see how to conduct yourself in certain situations. It's that, but also the identity, like trying to fit in. Yeah. Um, be like being a Nigerian. I was the only black kid at my school. Yeah, for sure. No, me and my siblings. So it was very hard just fitting in and just finding that identity because it's almost that thing. You're too you're too white. You're too white for a certain group, but you're too black for a certain group. If that makes sense. I guess I've heard one of my really good mates, Joey, was speaking about this on a podcast Mm. recently. So he was born in Australia but has Ghanese heritage. His Mm. dad's Ghanese, his mum's Australian. And he spoke about this identity crisis he had yes. in which he always felt as though he was too black for his white friends in Australia. Mm-hmm. And then he thought, well, you know, I'm going to like go and experience the culture in Ghana. Yeah. So he went back for a trip with his dad 
And he said, and as I walked down the streets, hoping to feel a sense of belonging, you know, wanting to fit in in this place in which half of my heritage, half of who I am is, is from here. Mm. He said that, you know, the locals would call out to me and use the term Obroni, which is uh, foreigner yeah, or tourist, you yeah. know. And he said, and so I'd never felt more white in my life. You know, I'd never felt as though I stood out so much. Mm. And, you know, he spoke about having to like find that sense of identity within. Yes. And, and I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because as you get older and you start to learn more about who you are, well, I know I can say so for me, as I've started to understand more of who I am, my identity is something that now I take with me wherever I go. Exactly. But we often, in our early days, think it's attached to wherever we are. Yeah, yeah. So when, when did you feel as though you really got a grasp of that? To be honest, it's taken me a while. I will say it's, I, I can accept that. It's taken me a while. Um, it's, I would say I, I didn't even get the hang of it until my 20s. Mm. Like I was in my 20s. I was still at the stage where I'm, Am I, do I fit in with my Nigerian friends more? Do I fit in? Because I've lived in Australia for a long time. And you do get criticism here and there just saying, oh, you're like, you're too, you're, like, you're so white or for this situation. But you still, I identify. And I go back to my roots as like Nigerian. That's that's the household I grew up in. And that's sure. that's what I am. So it's it's finding that identity in myself. Like I've done a lot of, I've done a lot of meditation, done a lot of thinking and let my life experience, that's what I've used to help guide me and navigate who I want to be. Mm. I'm not, I don't really attach it to where I am. Cause I, yes, I'm in, yes, I'm in Australia, but it's very multicultural here. For you sure. can find your identity anywhere you are. Well, and I think that's subject to change, isn't it? Mm. You know, like, especially in your work. You know, we spoke about you being in Tokyo mm. recently, you know, that trip to London, to New York. You find yourself in these different places and and I even felt as though like I, I acknowledge that I'm I'm privileged in the position that I grew up in a country where most people had the same skin colour as me. Yeah. And and because of that I wasn't you know, there was no prejudice. There was mm. there was nothing that made me feel as though opportunities weren't there for me or as though I was discriminated against and whilst I had different experiences in living with a chronic illness that meant I did things that were different to a lot of people mm. my age and around me, you know, taking tablets and, and doing that sort of stuff or, you know, spending time in hospital, I never truly felt like I didn't belong. Mm. And I think that's, I was very lucky that I grew up with a younger sister who wanted to be so like me that it made me feel as though that was a badge of honour, like yeah. my difference was a badge of honour. But I remember going over just last year to America. Yeah. I went by myself and I spent two weeks. And here at home, I'm someone who has a lot of acquaintances, a lot of people I could go for a coffee with or go for a run with or catch up with, go for dinner. And I felt as though I was liked, appreciated, understood, as though I belonged. Mm -hmm. I went over to LA and New York. And then when I tell you that like in LA... I'd go up to the cafe register to order a coffee and I'd say, oh, g'day, how you going? You know, I speak like a bit of an Aussie. Yeah, yeah. And people would look at me and just not give me the time of day or like acknowledge the fact that I'm trying to like be happy and yeah, upbeat. Yeah. And I remember walking around the streets of LA thinking, man, I don't fit in here. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, that, that thing that's so subtly, you can change your environment. Yeah. 
and the context in which you've understood yourself for the course of a lifetime is completely different. It's completely different. Yeah. And so I had to go like, I remember questioning myself and going <laughs> yeah. like, who am I? Yeah, yeah what's going on? <laughs> yeah. Like, why do I just not fit the mold here? And then I remember having a conversation which really shed some light on it in the podcast late last year is with a guy named Martin Hevel. Mm. Uh, Martin Hevel works for the Resilience Project and Martin um, has a very fascinating story. So of um, born in Australia, but his dad is an anthropologist and so he grew up in a headhunting tribe in Borneo. Are you serious? Yeah, him <laughs> and his brother. And uh, Martin played a bit of AFL but didn't have the success he wanted to in his career mm. and went back to Borneo found himself back in Australia around the age of 30 without any real sense of like who he was. And mm. he said, you know, I had this long hair and I used to walk around in this like Addy Hash T-shirt mm. and, you know, I got cut from my AFL team because they thought I was smoking weed and I'd never touched weed in my life, but I just oh, looked like yeah. that kind of hippie guy. Yeah. And he talks about coming back and just like realizing that like he didn't know who he was and he talks about the difference between fitting in and belonging. Mm. and like how you know to fit in is to fit a mold to belong is to know who you are and let that all come together around you like let your people gravitate towards you let you find your place and just know that wherever you go yeah that's who you are and you belong exactly and i think for me it was in understanding and overcoming a bunch of insecurity that i had that was just born out of being different and not feeling enough and that, you know, story, that narrative of not enoughness that so many of us hold. Yeah. And just go, I'm who I'm meant to be. Yeah. And I'm proud of who I am. I know what my values are. I'm showing up in the world that way. Mm. You know, this is who I am. This is what my dreams are. This is what my purpose is. I'm going to show up that way. I'm going to live that way. You're going to stick true to your own core values. For sure. Not let anything waver that because that's the most important thing. If you're not, if you can't stick to your word, if you can't Mm. show up as you are, if you're having to change yourself according to the situation, then that's it's it says a lot about your character as a person as well. So it's really good to like form that really strong sense of a character, and that takes it's easier said than done. Like that oh, yeah, takes a lot. It takes a lot of work. Um, for me, I know it's a lot of just meditation. I do I do a lot of meditation. I do a lot of journal entry, mm. but it's also a lot of I I talk to my parents a lot about their struggle or their comparison between living in Nigeria and then living mm. in Australia. Um, because they would obviously be going through the same when I'm, when I'm trying to navigate how I should, who am I? What's my personality? I had a lot of conversations with my parents about them and their struggles coming here. Like for example, my, well, the, the reason I know my dad is just, a determined human being he's a he's a doctor right so he studied he studied and he practiced back in nigeria him coming to australia meant having to start everything all over again so just being able to find that resilience to be able to do it again and still thrive in a new place that you're not sure of he didn't have any family here neither of my parents did there were a few family friends here and there but i i even look back and say that's like that's amazing to achieve. I want to have that same strong-willed character as mm. my dad, and I think it's drawing, it's drawing personality traits from people that you um, are inspired by or look up to that form that really strong piece of your identity as well. Definitely, talk mm. me through because as someone who, you know, I don't think that I have ever really spoken to anyone 
who has Nigerian heritage about mm. that culture. Like mm. I said, I've got a mate who's Ghanese, you know, I know T's from Zimbabwe. Yeah. And, and I've heard things about how life has been for them when they've gone back and engaged in that and, mm. and what their household felt like and, you know, what they've grown up like. And, you know, what's it been like for you? How would you... If you're going to explain to me what Nigerian <laughs> culture is like in the household. Okay. You know? <laughs> Nigerian uh, culture in the household. Um, Got to be respectful to your elders. So it was pretty much growing up, it was a lot of whatever my dad says goes and you respect that. Uh, an example I can give you, I was never allowed to stay out at friends' houses. Mm. Something that's very normal for um, people growing up. You, get, you go to your friends' houses, you go to parties and things like that you can stay over if if it's too hard for you to come back home yeah but my dad or my parents they they kept me from staying out too long or staying over at places because back then i thought it was a hassle i didn't i was a spoke and i was like right, why why do i have all these rules it's only until now i realize why they say those sort of things they don't know what's going on behind other people's closed doors they don't know how other people, uh, how they conduct themselves with their family or how they're just in general. So it's better for me to be in the protection of my own house. I saw it as being strict at that time, but it's until you grow older a little bit and you find out, okay, my parents said this for a reason. Um, they wanted me home for a reason because maybe the way that they raised me is a little bit different to how this person raises their kids or sure, that yeah. person raises their kids. So... Whatever my dad said went because I knew he had... At the time, I was hesitant about it, but growing up and experiencing life now, I understand, okay, that's why that's why he might have said that as a kid. Mm. That's why he raised me in that way, maybe. Um, I should... It's these little things that my dad and my parents have taught me that I'm realizing now how important it was for me to learn those lessons. Um, maybe as a kid, I wasn't as willing to learn them. But sure. now they're really useful to me. You know, I have to say, like, it's it's interesting that with cultures and ideas mm. and, and things being so different that sometimes you can find yourself confused by the fact that maybe that doesn't translate, you know, like maybe your mates at the time think, you know, why isn't Anya allowed to stay over? Yeah. You know, like, why isn't he allowed to be here? Does he not like us? Does it, yes. Did you ever yeah. find that those cultural differences left people that you're having those experience with confused i i would i would say yes i would i remember i would always turn up at school um and ask i would hear all the things that i missed because i wasn't there and there was a bit of it that led to them thinking that i didn't want to be around them mm. and then that in turn comes back onto me and that makes my the people around me smaller and smaller because of something that I had no control over. Mm. Of course, I can explain. Like, my parents just don't want me to stay out. At the time, I didn't know how to explain it. Um, but I think that also, that also made my circle, for the people who did understand, or for the people who didn't think that this is something that should affect our friendship, it keeps those people closer to you. The, sure. people who are it, the people who sort of take it the wrong way, naturally if they're taking you the wrong way are these people that you want to have around you definitely yeah, yeah. definitely it's interesting isn't it it's mm. in hind with hindsight with you hindsight, can understand yeah. it which is the hardest thing because when you're in it and you feel that rift or that confusion or mm. that 
that point of struggle, you just want to, you want to solve that problem right yeah, away. And, yeah. and sometimes it takes just like stepping back and seeing the bigger picture and allowing yourself to go, oh, it's all for good reason. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes like I'm, a, I'm I can be stubborn, but some, I, I know when I need to step back and either remember that I'm wrong or just see a situation in a different way. Mm. Um, that's something that as I've gotten older has gotten better and better as a child it's a lot harder because like i said before you're dealing with all of these things of identity crisis you want everyone to like you you want um because you're trying to belong somewhere you you want people to view you in a certain way mm. but because you don't know who you fully are yet you don't know how you're going to put that into the world so it's better to just sort of step back and let things happen for the best and just hope do steps to put yourself in the right direction but just hope everything turns out for the best for sure. Well, I guess we've been talking about stepping back. If you take a step forward in the future for me for a minute and paint a picture for me, like a picture that describes, explains what you hope to see is your future dream. Like mm. everything you're doing now, where do you hope to see that go? Mm. So I, where I hope to see it going, I really like to, I do like to teach. I do like to help other people. I like to empower other people to do to be who they want to be because that's something that I wish I had someone that was there for me to do that. Mm. Uh, there's no really blue, there's no a blueprint on how you can discover yourself or how to be creative, but I want to be that guy to empower other people to do it, be it through my own social media, be it through initiatives and groups. I want to start like the groups I want to start to help creators or even specifically African creators mm. find their footing and just have a community. Because when I first came into the content scene, one of the first things I noticed was there's very rare, like very rare around here. So being able to make a platform where I can promote other people or help other people grow their own come into themselves sure. that's where i see myself in the future being behind that because you can't always i i'm going to be making content for as long as i can but i understand that maybe it's something i can't do forever like i can't i'm not going to be 60 and doing dances on tiktok but i can empower that next guy who's in that same position that i was in at that age give him the power to come into himself for sure yeah. you know with that love for fashion do you ever see yourself creating or starting a brand like, <laughs> maybe there's things to keep. we'll just say to the audience keep an eye on yeah what's to come. let's just say let's just say keep an eye on that one but i fashion's been a huge thing for me so um i'm always looking to push the envelope of my my own love like i, mm. I love pop culture i love my anime so i'm thinking about going into creating my own pieces here and there but i really want to make sure it's done right Sure. I don't really want to do something that I'll do once and I'll leave it. I want to have something that's ongoing. So I really want to make sure that I've done my research. Um, now that I'm in the field, have the people, the right people to talk to, making sure I know how I'm going to go forward with that before I put my foot into it. Mm. Yeah. Is it, is it hard to like, obviously, do you have managers to help you with stuff like getting these gigs in yeah. the fashion space and... Yeah, so I, I have a manager, Sophie. She's love. She's killing it for me lately. She, I love her so much. Shout out to her. What's Shout her name? out to Sophie. Sophie. So yeah, many good that, Sophies. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually, I came across her by, I wouldn't say by accident, but I was on a branded trip and 
one of the other guys on the branded trip, his manager, which was Sophie, was on the trip with him. And I just saw how she worked on that, just that one day, I mm. saw how she worked and I was just so impressed. Like I was just so, she loved, I could tell she loved what she does. Yeah, so it's, then it's a great thing to see. Yeah, yeah, I could see it. So I got a contact and we chatted here and there. And then that's when I said to make the transition, I was like, who, like, where do you, what agency do you work with? Because I want to work with you. Hmm. And then that's when she told me about the agency that she's with. And then that's how I signed with Max. I'm at Max Connectors now. That's my yeah, talent okay. agency. And she, that's, she's my talent agent. Yeah, but awesome. I literally just went there because for her, she's just, I knew that she loved her job. Hmm. And I like to work with those people who have that excitement for what they do. That passion converts, yeah, doesn't it? it like does. when you see people show up that way and just that drive that they've got mm. to help people in those positions and they really love what they do. Yeah. You it's can tell people that are doing it just for a job and mm. you can tell people who are doing it because they're passionate about it. And that's what that's why I had to make the move because I was with another agency before that, but I wasn't feeling like they were resonating with me as much. Like they were doing the work but it was just the very top baseline. Whereas everything I've done with Sophie, she's, she goes out of her way. She knows my interests. She, she's the one who helped me with the uh, Japan trip because she knows I've been wanting to go there for a while. I love that. So she pitched for that. She pitched heavy for that for me. I think she's tried, she tried twice. The first time didn't, didn't work out. Second time was a hit. So She's been, she knows my interests and she really tries to get me things that I will be passionate about. How do you respond to like opportunities that don't come to fruition? Because, you know, I was thinking about this before, just mm -hmm. before you got here, I was sitting in front of my journal and just writing, you know, I'm, I'm a big dreamer yeah. and I have big dreams for where I want all of this to take me and, and my partner, Soph, and and I think about what I want it to look like. I'm mm. very much in one way living my dream right now. Yeah, yeah. But I'm living a, let's just say I'm living a small part of it. Yeah. You know, I see a, a really big picture and where... There's always a story to it as well. For sure. There's like this story that I see it having a big impact, a big effect. Mm. And when you know that, when you can see that clearly and it burns like a fire in your belly, mm. it's so hard to accept anything less. Right. You know, like for me, it's almost as though, I guess I'll say this, it, it almost feels like for me to dream as big as I dream until it it's there, until I feel as though it's having the impact I know it can, mm. it's a sense of suffering. Yeah. You know, because <laughs> I want it so bad. Yeah, I want yeah. it so bad. How is it for you to, to cope with things that don't go to plan? Well, I know it sounds cliche, but I always say the things that don't go to plan, I always find the positive of it. Mm. If it's if it's not meant to happen, if it doesn't happen, maybe it just wasn't meant to happen for mm. that stage. So I, I really just try to keep a positive mind and I don't let it detract from the good that I am doing. Say, I think as humans, we, we tend to focus on the negative. Like we're not doing things. So... But we forget to take or take note of our wins. For sure. I think a lot of people, because they focus on the negative, if something doesn't go our way, um, something doesn't go our way, maybe it's meant to happen. That's the way I view things. But um, I don't get discouraged from doing that next thing. Or I make sure I go twice as hard on the second thing. Because maybe I'll have that opportunity come up again. 
Yeah, it's it's so true. It's funny. I was speaking to my last podcast, Nadine mm. Champion, and I just shared a clip today actually on socials because that episode just dropped and. Mm. The clip was, you know, she was talking about how as human beings, seventy percent of our thoughts are negative. Negative, yeah. And I'm like, whoa, isn't that like, isn't that out of balance? Mm. You know, that's out of balance in the way that we often. It links back to a quote that I remember mentioning in that pod too. That um, Seneca, the great Stoic, that we often suffer more in imagination than we do in reality. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's part of the challenge with the dream, and part of the challenge with being able to see your future as you hope it to be so clearly is that in the imagination of what that's going to look like and what that's going to feel like, you suffer at the hands of not being able to appreciate what's currently in what's front of in, you. What's in front of you, yeah. And, and I have to try so hard. Like I'm, I have such appreciation and, and get so much joy and meaning out of what my life looks like now mm-hmm. because I love the people that are in it. I love what I get to do every day. But there's always like when I go lie in bed at night and I think about like what I, <laughs> where you what's want, coming where you, for me. Where you want to be. I'm like, man, that burns. Like it yeah. burns so much. But I think there's power to that too. Right? Yeah. It pulls you towards it. It's it like gives you it gives you that fire, gives you that motivation to be able to wake up in the morning and do that thing. Cause you know what you have to do. It gives for you sure. that vision. I feel that if you don't if you like the vision, if you'd like the plan that's when you start to lose your way a little mm. bit. So having that dream burn so passionately in your mind every night before you go to bed, knowing what you're going to do in, uh, when you wake up in the morning, that's what drives you to make every little piece of everything that you do just a little bit better every time you do it. For sure. It's that 1% effect. That effect. 1% effect, yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, I observe and experience firsthand that I feel as though our generation who are in this creative space and even in the business space seem to be more collaborative and um, encouraging of each other than any generation before has been. Mm-hmm. Um, don't get me wrong, there's still an element of tall poppy culture in Australia and I think there's people who <laughs> are always going to be negatively influenced to you know, try to tear someone down mm-hmm. or, or cast someone aside. But I know that I've experienced personally in the podcast realm you know, there's some amazing creators in Australia who've gotten behind me and I've gotten behind them and mm. we collaborate on episodes and, you know, we share in, in hoping to heap, help each other have more success. Yeah. Would you say it's the same in your field? Um, in my field, it is a lot of... When I first started out, I had the idea of... I do like to, I like to collaborate, um, but I got the feeling that not as many people want to do collaborations mm. as me, but... I'm very open to doing collaborations because I don't see it as a competition. I see it as us all, us all creating. I don't see it as like, oh, my piece of content is better than your piece of content. We're in the same field, so I need to get more numbers than you. It's it was it's never like that for me. I always see it as, why don't we take this chance to put two creative entities together and just create something new? Yeah, like it will be helping each, like we'll be helping out each other in the long run. But I see it as more of creators coming together to create like we're doing more creation and um you have those ideas that you could have never come up with on Mm. your own um and it even puts you in a new light or it even gives you uh gives you more inspiration to do a piece of content that you might have never thought about for sure yeah so i i always look at collaborating i love i love to i love to also highlight Say if they're not in the space as much or new to the space, I can see when someone is passionate about something um, and it's a no-brainer. If you see someone that's passionate about something, you, 
I get that feeling that I just want to help. I just want to help in some any way that I can yeah. to help that come to fruition. Do you see a lot of the same people at events and gigs and jobs and in the spaces that you are? Yeah. So there's a there's a big. I would say there's a there's a certain group of like in Australian media. There's a lot of there's a group of people who I'm constantly seeing at events. Yeah. And it's just because. Um, like you have your shows like Maps, Love Island, all those guys. I see yeah, them. At, I see, yeah, I see them at a lot of events, and I've just become close to them over time. And it is nice to see them outside of events as well. Um, but you do see a lot of the same faces over and over and over again, and you do get closer as you see them. But it's it's when you hang out with them one on one, you can hang out with them apart from content that forms that connection like a little bit better. Yeah, for sure. I think it's understanding the depths of someone's personality yeah. what makes them who they are exactly allows you to understand yeah. why they do things the way they do it yeah sometimes what you see on their socials they might be completely different in person mm. like i i using me as an example a lot of people see my content and see that i'm very like i can be very high energy very like physical humor but then when you meet me in person i'm very chill very like very relaxed, relaxed. um so it's it's good to see people when they're not behind the camera. I always think it's good to see people like when they're not behind the camera because we all have our own different stories. For sure, that eye-to-eye, face-to-face contact Mm. and you get a real sense of someone's energy. You can't beat it. Like energy doesn't lie. Yeah. I think that was the challenge. You know, COVID and lockdown in Mm. particular presented a number of opportunities for Mm. people like you and I who had time to be creative, but it also presented the challenge of you know, a reduced intimacy and connection. Mm. You know, it's hard to get that same thing through a screen. Like I know that I offered you today mm. the opportunity to be either over Zoom or face-to-face yeah. and you're like, oh, it's so much better face-to-face <laughs> yeah. and I love that because I'm the same. I get so much f- more from being eye-to-eye with yeah. someone. It's just a, there's a realness to it, a rawness. And we're humans as well. We're social creatures. Like For we sure. prefer that face-to-face contact like... I like being in people's energy when I'm talking mm. to them. You can you can't gauge there's certain things you can't gauge when you're over a Zoom call. So I always like to even if it's catch up for a coffee, catch up for a chat. If I'm within your space, I prefer that much more than just over the phone or through a text. For sure. Yeah. What do you think's been the biggest challenge for you in in all of this over the course of the last few years? You know, stepping into a space in which you have to take full ownership of of what becomes reality, of what opportunities come your way. Mm. Now, have there been any real challenges that have tested you? Um, one of the biggest challenges that I still go through to this day is scheduling. Mm. Find like making sure you have time for everything. Like I have my, I have certain times where I do my content, but I actually found times when I would realize I wasn't giving enough time for myself. Although I liked making my content, I wasn't giving enough time to myself. So I was running myself dry or either giving too much of myself to everyone. So I didn't, I needed to be able to step back and like what I do now, whenever I feel I don't want to make content, that's when I know I've maybe given too much of myself. Mm. So I will take a little break. I'll go watch some anime. I'll go play Overwatch or Diablo, go play on the PC. Uh, But it's just finding that balance of what you give to yourself and what you give to other people. Fuck, that's been one of the hardest things, I think, for me mm. over the course of the last couple of years. I'd, so I was sitting down recently with 
a mate, Josh Hares, who founded a brand called Porter James Sport. Mm. Love his brand. And we had a pod probably two weeks ago. And well, it come out two weeks ago, but I was in Melbourne just before it come out and we sat down for a coffee. And he was sharing with me this idea that he'd heard recently at an event. He went over to Fiji for this like entrepreneurs retreat and Mm. course and spent like, I think it was four or five days listening to a bunch of speakers and, you know, heads in that business who had heaps of knowledge to impart. And um, I believe it was Holly Ransom, who's actually been on the podcast, who was there speaking at the event. Mm. And she explained this idea to Josh around... Um, the difference between introverts and extroverts. Mm. And he shared it with me and he said that um, let's imagine that to feel socially fulfilled, everyone has five chips in the bank or Mm. five coins in the bank. And an extrovert actually wakes up in the morning with zero coins and their job for that day is to go out and earn a coin through social interaction as quick as they can and try to fill that bank to five. And then they feel satisfied with the amount of human-to-human connection they've had. Where the introvert, on the other hand, wakes up with five chips in the bank and every interaction, they spend a chip. And they get to a certain point in which there's nothing left. And I thought about that concept... And I guess traditionally or for the longest time, I'd see myself or, or describe myself as an extrovert mm. because I seek social connection. I am, you know, often it's very hard for me to shut up. <laughs> you know, like I, I, find I mean, that's I, good for podcasts. <laughs> it's great for <laughs> podcasting. But I find that anywhere I go, like I'm, I'm keen to yarn to people, to have a chat, to connect. Right. But I found that, as I'm now at a place in my life where I'm really settled with who I am and, you know, I've got a a partner that I love and we've Mm. got our home together and, you know, we have our space and our time and I've got a really good circle of friends. I'm starting to feel as though it's switching. (laughs) You're an introvert now. (laughs) Like I'm becoming a little bit more introverted. Like I wake up and I'm like, I want to go for a run with a couple of my best mates and have a coffee afterwards Mm. And I want to do a podcast that day and I want to speak to my family on the phone, which I do every day. And then I want to just at night cuddle up with Soph on the lounge, put a show on, have some dinner, go to bed and feel as though I haven't overextended myself socially. Right. And and I'm thinking, man, am I starting to to flip the script? Am I getting that old age energy already? I honestly honestly think, because the same thing has been happening to me. Like I've always described myself as an introvert. Like I do like my own time. I do like my own space. Mm. I'm very content in my own space. Uh, I don't really, I do, I do like to go out and obviously um, give, like spend my chips where I, where I like Mm. with my close friends or my family. But I'm finding more and more as I'm getting older, I am wanting to, I'm more careful with my time, like where Mm. I'm spending these chips. I'm still wanting to go out and do things because it's part of what I'm doing socially. But if I give too many chips, sometimes I can find myself, I'm in in debt. (laughs) I'll need to to just shop myself in for a few days. Bro, that was me yesterday. Yeah. I I think I said it to you before, like we went... I spent Friday night doing a, a fight night announcing. Yeah. You know, I was on the mic. Usually if I'm on the mic doing a keynote, I'm mm. there for an hour. And then I might spend a little bit of time pre and post gig, having a chat to people, connecting. Or if I do a podcast, mm. uh, by the time we have a little pre-chat, the, the actual recorded conversation, a post-chat, I might be there for 
two or so hours. But man, this night, I think I started at 6.30 on the mic and I finished around 12. Mm. So it was, you know, five and a half hours of being on the mic and I'm yelling, I'm announcing, I'm hyping <laughs> the, the crowd up, I'm hyping the fighters <laughs> up, calling out the winners. You know, it's, it's an exciting night on the mic. But I get home, man, it takes me a couple of hours to decompress from that. Like I couldn't mm. go straight to sleep. I spent like half an hour, an hour just lying in bed, looking at the ceiling. Yeah. Like, man, I need my brain to turn off. Mm. And then we went for a big run on, well, actually, no, we woke up on Saturday and I was spent. I had a mate's engagement party on Saturday night. Yeah. And when I tell you at 9.30, <laughs> like my brain was trying to speak, but my mouth wouldn't move. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, I've gotten so old, man. It's yeah. 9.30 and I'm like, I need bed. You kind of feel out of whack a little bit, like sure. out of sync. Yeah. For sure. And man, we went for a big run on Sunday and I just did not do another thing for the rest of the day. Like we just, I just needed to absolutely put my feet up, yeah. speak very few words. <laughs> and yesterday I was the same. And I feel like I'm only just starting to get a sense of myself. Yeah, like yeah. I'm like, I'm changing, man. I'm changing. It's all growth. Like it's all growth. It it's, it, it's knowing where to put your energy because... As if you think about it, or depends on how you look at it, uh, your time becomes more and more. As, you, as you're getting closer and as you're doing more of what you love, your time becomes, you want to be putting your time into that thing that you love, but you also want to be, you don't want to neglect things around you or letting that slip as well. Well, I think that there's a misconception that if you are self-employed or let's say you do similar to what you and I do, where mm. we create our own opportunities, we create content. There's a misconception that um, time is not a luxury for you. It's just something you have there. It's like you've got unlimited time. It's, you know, it's infinite. Mm. But the truth is your time is still finite and time is even more of a luxury because every minute you choose to spend has an effect on whether you get more opportunities, whether... Yeah you pay the bills that month, whether mm -hmm. the thing mm. that you love moves further forward and progresses. And I think I I didn't even appreciate that myself mm. over the course of the last couple of years until really this last six months year where I've gone, I've got to stop saying yes to just let's go for a coffee or let's hang out in the middle of mm -hmm. the day because then I come home and I haven't done what I need to do. Yeah. And you I almost beat yourself up over it as well. For sure. Yeah. And I'm like, and I get it that for a lot of people who work a structured role or a structured job, when they get time off or when they're not at work, mm. it's purely for luxury. Um, but I don't have that same luxury, exactly. nor do I want that same luxury because I want to do what I love. Yeah. And so it's for me, it's been a really hard, it's been a really hard challenge to say no. Yeah. I find it very hard to say no. <laughs> I've always, I'm the same. I've always, I, I was a big people pleaser yeah. and I'm trying to know when to say no. I do, you do have that feeling of FOMO as well. Like For sure. You, you do need to learn how to say no, um, but it's, it's learning because I'm the sort of person as well, like I mentioned before, if I don't get something done, I will almost beat myself up over it. Um, but it's learning how to be kind. You need to learn how to be kind to yourself as well. Um, I always joke around that I swap my nine to five for a 24 seven. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm always on the clock. 
Um, I'll be with my partner and I'll, I, I don't like to be on my phone when I'm with friends. Um, unless it's grabbing one or two videos of what I'm doing just to keep up my own social media. But I don't like being on my phone doing work when I'm with yeah. friends. Um, I always want to make sure that they're heard and they're seen in that time that I'm with them. And I want to be able to be present in that moment mm-hmm. as well. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's tough finding a, it's tough finding a balance. Um, I don't like beating myself up when I, when I don't get a piece of content done or it builds up later causing you stress. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. You spoke before about being a bit of a cinema buff. Yes. <laughs> what would be your top, top three to five movies? Oh. That's a big question, okay. isn't it? I love the movie Inception. Great movie. I love that movie. I just think uh, Christopher Nolan in general is really good with some of his films. So Inception, I really like Memento, the one with. Um, I don't think I've seen that. You haven't seen that one. No. It, it the way it's the way it's written is really nice. It sort of plays from the end of the film and the start, and they converge. The end of the film is like the middle of the film. Oh wow! Yeah, it's like a really I love those I love those um, uh, psychological thriller type movies. Mm. Um, so like Inception, Memento. Um, those are always the first two that come to my mind. Those sort of movies. Who directed Memento? I think that was Christopher Nolan as well. Man, he's. I a, think I can't wait to watch Oppenheimer. I haven't. Which one is that? Um, it's about um, the gent who created the atomic bomb. Ooh. During the war, mm. it's um Chillian Murphy. Okay, you know um the actor from Peaky Blinders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bro, he's gone. He I is, he's a great is. actor. I love that series, but I love him as an actor. And like, I just you just know anything that Christopher Nolan makes, mm. it's gonna be incredible. Like it's gonna be gold. Like, like I'm a big fan of Interstellar. Yes, that's another one. Interstellar is really good one. And that's him. That's Christopher yeah. Nolan. Um, I love. You know what? I used to say that Catch Me If You Can, Leo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks. Have you ever watched I've, that? I, I might have seen it, but I don't remember. Pretty that. sure it's 2002, so yeah, it's, it's an a, older, older, one, older yeah. movie. I always think that older movies are the better movies. Yeah. I think like that era of like the the early to mid-2000s. Mm. I feel movies now, there are a lot of remakes. So For it's a sure. lot of recycled content or uh, you're using, you're pushing agendas of today's society mm. in older movies that didn't have that same agenda. For sure. The stories felt very unique. Yes. So for me, like Interstellar's up there. I always said Catch Me If You Can mm. was my top, but I actually think it's changed. I rewatched Good Will Hunting. Okay, yeah, that's a good one. Love that, that movie. Is a that good could one. even take the top spot for yeah. me. <laughs> so good. Just that the messages in that movie. Um, and then Shawshank Redemption. Yes, yes. Cracker. Very good. And then one. also, I'm a big Will Smith fan. Like Will Smith. What do you, you uh, out of your Will Smith movies? Which ones did you do? You like his more serious roles, or do more you like serious? It? Yeah. So for me, Seven Pounds. Mm-hmm. Beautiful story. Um, Pursuit, Pursuit of, of Happiness. Yeah, Pursuit of, of Happiness. Yeah. But there's another one that I never hear people mention, which I loved, which was Collateral Beauty. Yes. Yes, I love the film. It's a great. Yeah, it speaks a, a lot about time. Yes, about yeah. like these constructs who are played by people in roles that are supposedly presented to him. I really like in that his concept. Imagination, yeah. but you know, it's playing out in real life, and I found that film like fascinating. Mm. Also, the message of you never know what someone's going through mm-hmm. until you hear their side of the story. Exactly. But I love, man, I love movies. And yeah. I could talk about movies for days. But the thing I love about those older movies, which I feel as though it lacks, like you said, is 
a lot of movies that are made today are made with an agenda, but I feel as though because our because our attention spans and our ability to remain undistracted mm. has just completely it's depleted. So much shorter, yeah. You know, and with platforms that we're all very grateful for, like yeah. Netflix and Stan and these platforms that provide e- easy access to movies. It feels like movies are made quicker these days. Yeah. Which means that there's or, not as much time or thought put into it. Yeah, they've, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, it doesn't feel like movies have... You don't see those really technical mm. psychological films anymore, like really deep plot twists or really deep stories. The stories seem to be a little bit quicker and a little bit... Um, come up with a little bit faster. Like not as much thought For sure. put into them or they're not as deep as they used to be. Um, they can be very surface surface level. Yeah. Like we see what you see is what you get. Um, I really like those films where you do have to watch it twice to get it. Like I watched, in, I remember when I watched Inception, that's where I got, became really interested in um, like dreams. What you do, what your brain is doing during your dream and how you can influence that dream. So I looked into a lot of lucid dreaming which is a similar concept to what they do in the movie, but a little bit different where you can control your dreams. You're in a state of consciousness where you're conscious enough to, con- that you, to know that you're dreaming, but not conscious enough to wake up. How do you inflict a lucid dream? So in a lucid dream, from what I know, if you are aware you're dreaming, if you're aware that you're dreaming, you can like change and change things in your dream. You can, it's becoming aware that you're dreaming or that you're asleep or that what is around you isn't reality. But being not aware enough to wake up, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. So is that something that's encouraged? Can that happen naturally or is that encouraged by it, psychedelics? It's or? something that you need to practice. It's, it's natural. Okay. So um, it's something that you need to practice and that's actually one of the reasons why I kept a dream journal and a journal in general. Every time I would wake up, it's remembering my dreams being able to remember my dreams and remember certain aspects of what makes a dream a dream. Like I know something small I do, I wear a lot of rings. I have yeah. a spinny ring. This is like a, a ring I have just for anxiety if I, or just fiddle with yeah, it. Wow. So usually something I noticed in a dream, if I would spin this, this would just keep on spinning. And that's not, that's not, that doesn't happen in reality. Yeah, wow. So you're super yeah. conscious of what's happening on a very minute level yes. within your dreams yeah because i journal but i find i journal like on thoughts feelings mm. and it's funny like I, I have spoken about it a bunch of times on the podcast one of my favorite things to do when i'm by myself is i put on some hans zimmer music or some like, yeah. um, cinematic orchestra yeah. <laughs> and i sit think and write yeah and and just get out a deep thought i think there's something about and maybe it is because that very cinematic orchestra style music makes me feel as though I'm in a dream state because there's no words, it it's just my thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I think those thoughts are enhanced by deep sounds that are emotional. Mm-hmm. Like I, For me, those sounds are very emotional. Yeah. And, and I love the way that that makes me think about deep stuff. Mm. And so because because you feel like you feel like you're in a movie when you hear For that sure. when you hear that soundtrack it's like you'll be sitting on the couch you'll be looking pensive and you have the hands in the background it's like I feel like I'm in a movie right now and then these thoughts and certain thought patterns will come up and then that's when you put them down that's when they just flow out of you a little bit easier. Have you found that anything that you've consciously recorded, like in your journal after a dream, after being in that state of dreaming, 
has shown up in your life? Yeah, so I I do look for a lot of connection between what happens in my dreams, what's happening in my uh, subconscious, and what's happening in my everyday life. So if I see a thing, if I dream about something, one of the if it's a little bit of a of like a weird dream, the first thing I'll think of is what I know we shouldn't be looking at our dreams too much, but I also always try to find a link behind it because there's a reason I'm dreaming that. Or um, I do like to find the connection, but I try not to place too much importance on it. I just like to be aware of it. If I'm having, because I used to get a lot of um, reoccurring dreams. Mm. And there was one reoccurring dream where for the longest time I was trying to figure that out and it came to me. It finally came to me and I tried to resolve. It took many months to resolve. But finally, when I got to the end of it, I just stopped having the dream. I just didn't have it anymore. It's like there's an ending to that story. Yeah, like that storyline. It was. It's come to the end of that storyline. And I figured out what I needed to figure out within myself to get to where I wanted to be. And I just stopped having the dream. You've so. probably looked into this more than me, but I know that there's this, you know, those dreams where you're falling and you wake yourself up and you yeah. sleep. Yeah. Uh, I've heard that you never you never actually hit the ground in those dreams. You always wake up while you're still falling. They yeah. reckon if you hit the ground you're dead. Um <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've heard. That's a whisper. It's oh I don't know who's confirmed it, that, but <laughs> Because because your your mind I'm I'm not gonna I'm not a huge I'm not huge in that, but I, I have heard the same thing. I don't think it's it's not true, but your body does your body will have some sort of a reaction. It's not entirely death, but yeah. it's very close to your body will react in a way that um, you will feel the pain or you'll feel some sort of offness, like something will be off on your mm. body when you do wake up. And that's something I've noticed as well. Like I've had dreams where, where you know you're dreaming and you want the dream to end, but you don't know how to end it. That's, that's, the, scariest, that's the scariest bit. Um, and I found when I have ended those dreams forcefully, your body is just out of sync when you wake up. Mm. Isn't it funny that like the brain, we, we still don't understand the complexity mm. of the brain. Like we understand most organs and most function of the human body with, I guess I'd say real depth and mm. understanding of, of how to influence it, how to control it, how to react to things that go wrong. But the brain is this very um misunderstood well maybe not misunderstood but it still lacks an understanding or knowledge that we have of most other areas and functions within the body it's so hard to test some parts of that like we can we can get empirical data like what the brain can do but there are some things that just you can't you can't gather information on and that's why i feel that there's so much more there's so much that's unknown about how the brain works it's like for me, it's always been fascinating as someone who I would say that my longest passion is storytelling. Mm. Like from a, a very young age, I connected with stories. And for me, not just consuming story, but rather sharing stories, the mm. thing that has been really passionate for me. And I think those two just go hand in hand. When you're yeah. passionate about telling stories, you love hearing stories, you love, for me, not so much reading, but rather listening to and watching mm. stories unfold. And I often look at and marvel at some of the most creative brains. Like I am fascinated by a guy like Pharrell. Yes. I've, I've got yeah. a Pharrell. I'll show you before you go. Actually, yeah. in our room, I've got a Pharrell portrait. Oh. That's cool. <laughs> How big is it? Is it like a Bro, big? It's, it's big. Massive? It's like, it, 
it's probably like a meter and a bit by oh, uh, yeah. like a big 600, one. 700. Um, it's a decent size for old picture, maybe even bigger. <laughs> Done by, it was actually a geometric illustration. So Farrell created a book called, um, oh, I can't remember the name of it, um, A Fish, oh, what's it called? It's something, it's just very, it's a creative book. I yeah. can't remember. A Fish doesn't know what color it is. It was something like that, some obscure title. Mm. And the tight, like the front cover of that book, it's quite a colorful um, image. And so I got a friend of mine, Dom Gorsi, who does, it's actually a few geometric yeah, illustrations. Yeah, these ones here. Those, They're yeah. cool. Um, she done it for me and put it together like as a custom piece. And, oh, that's nice. And I love it, man, because I love the way that that guy thinks. He's mm. a creative genius, in my opinion. I love his music. I love, uh, you know, just even for me, like I'm not a huge um, runway fashion guy, mm. but his recent... The Paris, um, uh, the LV one in Paris. Show, oh, it was insane. I was watching... I was a massive fan Insane. of Virgil yeah, and his, same. like I've listened to a bunch of his lectures where he went to Harvard and those places and spoke on creativity mm. and, and design. And even as someone who's not in that space, I like fashion and I like clothes and I like just creative expression. Mm. And I was a big Virgil fan. I'm going to say something very controversial here, but I thought the Pharrell, for my taste, the Pharrell LV show was the nicest LV show I've ever seen in terms of I normally oh, no, I'll have at, to agree with that. <laughs> but I look at normally look at high end fashion. I think I wouldn't wear that yeah. personally. But I looked at his show and I'm like, I'd wear a bunch of that yeah. stuff. He really knows how to mix in like that elevated streetwear as For well. Sure. And I think that's why like we that's why we appreciate it because it's stuff that it matches my own style. Like it might, sure. probably matches your own style as well. So seeing it really elevated with the like LV. Bro, there was like that a few pieces, well actually a lot of pieces where it was like this camo inspired pixelated yes, yes. print on yeah. suits and, and different pieces and I was like man I've never seen anything similar to that before the pixelated mm. feel of it for me personally that was so new and I was apparently like, that was inspired that. by Minecraft yes yeah so I seen a guy I, I can't remember the creator's name but I sent it to Soph because Soph loves fashion yeah Fashion and pop culture, Soph knows everything that's happening. Yeah. She's like an, an encyclopedia. <laughs> so what's going on this week? Yeah, she yeah. knows exactly what's happening. She's always telling me about it. And um, I showed Soph this video this creator had made mm. on TikTok where he done like a wrap up of the whole show and spoke about where the inspirations were derived think, from. And Yeah. Um, dude was sort of like blonde, curly. I think I might have seen the same. I might have seen the same video because I, I, I remember seeing one and he speaks about... Um, like the Minecraft inspiration behind the pixelation. Yeah. I was like, that is insane. Like you would never think that <laughs> you can draw inspiration from Minecraft and put it onto something. For sure. For like with uh, LV. Like I find that, I find that insane. For me, it's, it's those links that I think I'm yet to discover as a creative. Mm -hmm. Whereas I can take inspiration from something completely separate mm. and bring it into the world in which I exist creatively. Yes. And for me, that's like really interesting. So mm. I look at, at people like him. I look at people like Christopher Nolan and mm. you know some of the incredible writers and musicians and people who are from worlds that I do not exist in right now at this point in my life. Mm. I know, it's fair to say that musically I'll never exist in any world. <laughs> <laughs> but in the idea of like, I've always enjoyed writing. Mm. Um, and I've written 70% of a book, which the book is like a autobiography memoir 
that I started during COVID. Mm. I got a publishing offer for it, but it wasn't the right publishing offer. So I've decided to sit and wait. And I feel as though it's... This is your baby as well. You need to take your time with it. For sure. It needs to be... And I need to like step back and live life a little bit more and add to it. Yeah. Um, But it's something I'm excited about. And I've, I've often thought about... Well, I've written something that's very real and I often talk about very real experience. Mm. Can I exist in a very creative, imaginative space? Because I did as a kid. Mm. As a kid, which is so weird. I don't know if this, maybe it's not weird. But for me, I don't know that a lot of, I had a few friends like it and I think it's because we all gravitated towards each other and my cousin as well. But then as a kid, if I wasn't outside kicking the footy Mm. or running or doing something active, I was sitting like inside the house of my cousin and my friends. We always used to write kids' books. Oh. Like it's something I've, I've, I loved as a kid. Like yeah, I love yeah. sitting down and writing these like little adventure novels and illustrating them. I, was, I love drawing as a I kid. I was more cartoons. on the drawing side. I like drawing stories. Yeah, but I, yeah. there was something about it that like I always wanted to write the hero's journey in yeah. a creative, new, imaginative way. Okay. And I've I've often thought about it, especially in recent times, like, man, the world that I've dived into here, could that exist in a space where some point in the next six months or couple of years, I do a voiceover for a character in, a, yeah. in something animated, I write a piece or come together with a couple of writers and produce something like the show Ted Lasso. Mm. I've listened to a lot of the writers of that show, Brett yeah. Goldstein being one in particular who um, wrote the story of that show and I'm I'm fascinated by the way they use characters to to really express very important messaging yeah in that, an entertaining and funny way exactly and that's why I really love the medium of anime like I am huge on animation and being able to tell a story mm. through just like being able to convey emotion even if it's if it's not um it's emotion through animation quality and angles and things like that and that's Mm. what i try to emulate in my own video there's little aspects of storytelling that you can put into different forms of media that just come across when you combine the two it becomes this entirely new beast so anime like very similar i actually when you were just talking now about what about your book or voicing an animated character there's so many ways that you can portray a story in like a let's say a graphic novel like through mm. the form of like manga, little graphic novel, you can have that story written. You can be the narrator in the story as well. You can also have that uh, picture element to it as well. For that sure. doesn't make it into, and it aligns with like your picture book. Like you used to draw picture books as a kid. For sure. You can have it as like that. Like that's where my mind goes to when someone's looking for a piece of content to, if they're trying to put across a piece of content in a certain way, that's where my mind goes to. It's so interesting, yeah. isn't it? I just, I find it so, and I find it so exciting that back 10, 20 years ago, mm. to do that, you were pigeonholed to, you had to write a book or mm. you had to, you know, be in TV or you had to be in movies and you had to have certain degrees that allowed you to do that. Mm. We exist in a world now, man, where it's in the palm of our hands. Exactly. exactly. And like, that's such a privilege and it, it's a privilege, it's also... A more competitive space than ever because it's mm. um, more creators, like more, more, more creators, people doing what they and want there's of. easier access. You know, it's like the podcast space. I think something like a couple of years ago, there was like a couple hundred thousand podcasts. Now mm. there's millions of mm. podcasts because anybody can anyone start can a start free a podcast, anchor yeah. profile and 
um, you know, create a podcast and put it out to the world. Mm. So it's it's a privilege, but it's also a, a now more competitive space yeah. and a space that's saturated. So you have to, I think, really be authentic to stand And coming out. back to those people who are passionate about what they do. Mm. Like you can tell those people who will be really passionate because you'll see them week after week. They'll stick to their guns. They'll, they'll be delivering that content to everyone week by week. For sure. Whereas people who might not be as passionate about it, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> they'll come in, maybe they'll drop off over after a few weeks, but they won't have that same drive to have those real conversations or to be speaking on issues that they really want to be talking about. Well, I think there was a stat, man, that like, which is very relatable for me in my mm. world, that only 10% of podcasters make it past 13 episodes. Mm. And then of that 10%, only 10% make it past like episode 27. Oh, damn. And then, you know, this and then is diminishing about, returns and to be fair, you're going to be very close to episode 200. I think you might be 199, oh. 198, somewhere around yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, it's crazy because it takes, bro, to, to do something pers- consistently and be mm. persistent at it without any real um, financial reward. Mm. For a lot of people, it's just not even a conversation. It's it's, yeah, it's hard to do. It's yeah. hard to have that resolve as well. I'm just lucky that I found it at an age young enough in which I could chance my arm on it. Yeah. You know, where I didn't have to think about supporting children or, mm. you know, like paying a mortgage. Well, yeah. I did and I sold my place. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, like it's it's a real privilege that I found what I love early. I can imagine it feels the same for you too. Yeah, well, I, I found, I, I'm appreciative that I've, Excuse me, that I found what I love now, mm. but I've never thought I found it too late. Like I always felt that I needed to, I wouldn't say early, but I never, I didn't find it too late. That's how yeah. I see it. Um, I've come into myself enough and I've, I'm at the right place in my life to be able to succeed in what I want to do in this, mm. in this industry. Um, and that's just what I, that's just what I focus on. Like I've, I'm grateful for every day I get to get to do this so i think it's real it's a real power to to be able to do what we're doing here Mm. today and to share this because i think for so many people they think as though you know like at 30 there's this imaginative idea that at 30 there's so many things yeah yeah or or like at 30 you're supposed to have a family and Mm. you're supposed to have the job that you're going to stay in for the next 30 40 years until you retire and then you know, you're supposed to do this this way and have this sorted by this time. And it's, I feel as though more than ever, we're not bound to those same timelines that people thought they were bound to for exactly. a long time. That typical image of how you want your life to be, like the, mm. the partner, the house, the job. I think I, I remember having a really, it was an eye-opening moment for me. The time when I realized that... I don't have to, all the things that I thought as a kid, my, mm. my mindset has changed. I don't have to stick to those mindsets. My mindset can always be changing. I don't have to be in a job, or I might be in a different job that I would expect to be in as a kid. Mm. I thought I was going to be a doctor, house, kids right now as a 30-year-old. But as my life goes on, I realize that I maybe I don't fit that maybe that doesn't fit who I am as a person. That whole nine to five doesn't fit who I am as a person. I like to motivate and I like to inspire. Um, and that comes back to the thought of me having, I don't know if I can be doing this for the rest of my life because I'm not passionate about it. 
Um, and now finding that thing where every day I wake up and I'm wanting to, I'm wanting to get out of bed and do as much as I can. There's some merit to that. And that's what I want to stick to and what I find, um, how I want my life to be. For sure. Yeah. So it's, it's changed. It's, it's changed from when I was a kid, obviously because I've grown up and I've experienced more. That's why I would never take back any of my experience that I've had in my life. Yeah, they're all blessings, they're all teachers in many ways, aren't exactly. they? Exactly. Like you win some and you learn some. I don't believe in losses. You I always learn. That. I love that. You know, we've been talking for nearly an hour 40 now. It doesn't even feel like that. <laughs> it feels like it's gone like that. Yeah. Um, conscious of our of our time, I want to mm. give you an opportunity before we go just to, to say some final words. If there's, you know, one message that you could share with everyone listening, watching, mm. what would that message be? The thing that I always tell people, always remember where you came from. Mm. You always remember where you came from and be true to yourself. I know it sounds cliche, but uh, you realize you realize that who you are is going to get you past most things in life. So stick true to it and don't waver. Just do it. That's a beautiful message, brother. Mm. I love that. And I, I think it speaks volumes because mm. I know it has done in my life. I'm going to make sure that everywhere everyone listening and watching can find you in the show notes man it's been a pleasure i know i said it at the start but it really is for me it's a real joy to see people who have identified what they love what they want from their life Mm. and to to watch from afar and sometimes now closer yeah and i'm sure now that we've met i'll be able to watch a little closer and understand why you're doing what you're doing but to to watch you go out in life and you know go on that quest of you know, how do I get there? Yeah. How do I get a little bit closer to my dreams? It's how always do I interesting bring them into reality? The, it's always interesting finding those little side quests. Like, that's, what, that's what I live for. It is, brother. And I'm so excited to watch you go on and, and really fulfill all these dreams you have for yourself. Thank You're you, a good man. And it's been an honor to talk to you. And thank you for being a part of the show. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me on. My pleasure, brother. <laughs> thank you so much for tuning into another episode of A Lot To Talk About. It means the world that you guys are in my corner, that you continue to listen to the show every week. And if you could do me a massive favor by following the podcast on whichever platform you listen to it and sharing this episode in particular with just one friend that you feel would benefit from it, that would mean the world to me and it would help the show grow. The more the show grows, the bigger the guests we get on, the more that we can do and the more we can share and support you guys, the listeners, the viewers of the show. Before I go, I want to pay my respects and recognize the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet and record this podcast. The Aboriginal culture has such a rich history in storytelling. And as a passionate storyteller, I really hope that the stories we share and connect with on the show can allow the many cultures that now call this beautiful land Australia their home to come together and continue to respect the stories and the culture that make this the land it is today. Thank you so much for tuning into A Lot To Talk About. I'll catch you next week.